0: If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Holy Spirit, please take this word. Lord, I am a broken vessel. I am imperfect and I'm a crooked stick. But Heavenly Father, I pray that you will anoint me. Let your presence flow through me, Lord. Help me get out of the way so that people can see you and let your word touch us and sink deep down into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a name, there was a name, there was a man named William Dixon. And this story was written about in the Methodist magazine in 1902, and the author's name was Ellen Thorncroft Fowler. So thank you, Ellen, for writing this story down for us. But his name was William Dixon. And very tragically, two years after he was married to his bride, she was pregnant, and both she and the child died in childbirth. And William became a very bitter man after his loss. He had desired so much to be a father, He hungered for the opportunity to raise what would have been his son and to teach him all the things that he loved about life. And William loved literature, and he couldn't wait to teach his little boy how to read and how to write and how to study the great pieces of work that he himself loved so much. And William Dixon lived down the street from an old lady whose house caught on fire. They drug her body, barely breathing out of the flames. But this old lady had a grandchild. Her daughter had died and left her grandchild behind. And the old lady really didn't care for and even neglected this young boy whose bedroom resided up in the attic of the house. And amidst the flames, they pulled the old lady out. She was dying. But no one could get to the little boy in the attic. The flames had burned down the staircase and there seemed to be no hope for this little boy who had been woken up in the middle of the night by fire in his bedroom and found his way to the window to cry for help to the onlookers below. And this little boy who is screaming, red-faced, terrified, confused, is crying out to this people below and he's looking at them and they're looking back at him with blank expressions, not knowing what to do. He's hopeless, he's scared and he doesn't see a savior in the crowd until William Dixon comes busted through and he calls all of them cowards as he begins to climb the side of the house, holding on to the iron pipework. Now the fire had heated up the iron until it was blazing hot and totally throwing all pain to the wind scaled up to the attic, took the boy in his left arm and climbed down the side of the house with his right. And the boy was unscathed, totally unharmed by the flames. But William's hand, the right hand that he hung on to the pipe with, was scarred for life. Deep, deep wounds that had to be bandaged right away. We see in this little story an act of extreme kindness, of selfishness, of heroism, of love for this little boy from William Dixon. We're in a series right now on the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians five twenty two through 25 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. These are not works of a Christian. These are not things we can muster inside of ourselves. We can't suddenly be joyful. We can't have unconditional love. We can't walk in godly kindness. These are an overflow from a relationship with Jesus Christ of walking in step with him throughout our day, throughout our lives. John 15, 4-5 says, Jesus is talking, saying, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. As the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he or she that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we're walking in this relationship with Christ, and he is the, he is the one... That we are attached to that is bearing fruit through us. We're just the branches. It's his nutrients, it's his love, it's his life that is flowing through us. So tonight we're not talking about pursuing being nice. I see that slogan everywhere. We're not trying to be more nice. We're asking the question, what does the life of a believer look like when they pursue and walk hand in hand with Jesus? And it is a life that is kind. They're Christians who walk in kindness. Our key scripture for tonight is Ephesians 4.32. Forgive me, I don't have slides for tonight. But I, I challenge you to write these things down, to go read them later, to let them soak into you. Ephesians four verse thirty-two is very simple. It says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There are three foundational points about kindness. Some of them may be a little unexpected. But you have to grab these foundational points if we're going to even understand the love of God, if we're going to wrap our minds or begin to wrap our minds around Scripture and God's love toward us. And the first foundational point on kindness is simply this. Kindness is the action of love. Love is a choice to choose someone and set ourselves apart for them If love is that state of will, that state of purpose, that intentionality, what comes out of that will be kindness, will be actions of love that is kindness. It would seem that kindness is a consistent, inseparable quality of love. Can you even imagine what love would look like if it didn't have kindness? How can you love someone and mistreat them purposefully? Love takes action towards a person being loved, and that action is kindness. Kindness closes distance. Kindness puts other people's needs above our own. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would, what? Take the action of laying down his life for his friends. Quote, Jesus. The opposite of love, according to Elie Wiesel, is not hate. The opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is indifference. It's the lack of putting love into action. Love without action is dead, just as much as faith without works is dead. Love without kindness isn't love at all. I'm referring to 1 Corinthians 13 4. What Many people call the love chapter, love is patient, love is kind. So when we talk about patience and humility, giving up our own way, when we talk about gentleness and re- rejoicing in truth, these are all actions and interactions of love. Love is what? It takes action through patience. It's gentle. It's forgiving. So I have to ask the question, kind of right off the bat here, Elevate, who have you not been kind to lately? Because if there's someone that you haven't been kind to, friend or enemy, sibling or parent, person that you pass in the hallway, waiter, I guess you don't have a waiter right now because we're in the apocalypse. Who is it in your life that you haven't been kind to? Because you have been in error. You have not been loving them. If you have not been treating someone in your life with kindness, you are in the wrong and have not been loving them the way Jesus calls us to love people. So number one, kindness is the action of love. Number two, kindness is obedience. Jesus followers are expected to act in kindness, to be self-sacrificing for our neighbors. Leviticus 19.18, you're going to recognize it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself as in the Old Covenant, commands Jesus followers, God followers, to love their neighbors, which Jesus picks up in the New Testament and tells them, love your neighbor as yourself. Then who's my neighbor? And Jesus gives this beautiful story of the Great Samaritan. The whole point of that story is to remind us that our neighbor is not always the person we expect. Many times, our neighbor that God brings in our lives to show kindness to is the very opposite of the person we get along with most. That's our neighbor too. This is an eternal command of God's people. According to Christian ethics, our neighbor includes our enemies as well. Sometimes it's hard to be kind. Absolutely. It's really easy to be kind to someone that you like a lot. It's even easy to be kind to a stranger if they're kind back to you. But what about those people that are difficult to love? What about those people that take advantage of kindness? What about those people that make fun of us? What about those people that are against us, our enemies? That's an entirely different situation. I have at least a little good news for you. I have a lot of good news for you. Here's the first tidbit. We have the freedom to recognize that people are cruel and even evil. We have the freedom to recognize that their actions are wrong. We have the freedom to hate the sin that they're committing against us and other people. But Jesus commands us to love the person. So we can acknowledge and recognize and even stand against the evil that is being done. We are not asked to pretend as if someone who is evil is good. We're not asked to pretend that someone who is cruel is a nice person. That is not what Jesus is asking. He is, however, asking us to love anyway, to show kindness anyway. I guess it's really good that love isn't based on feelings, that love is not us trying to muster feelings for somebody else. Can you imagine sitting around trying really, really hard to stir up good emotions before we'll go and be nice to someone? But love has never been based on emotions. Love is a force of our will. It is a decision to choose somebody over ourselves. I love how C.S. Lewis writes it. I've been quoting him a lot lately. I've been reading through mere Christianity and it's been rocking my world. Christian love, either towards God or towards man, is an affair of the will if we are trying to do his will, if we're trying to do his will, we are obeying the commandment, thou shalt love the Lord your God. He will give us feelings of love if he pleases. I love that. God will give us feelings of love if he wants to. We cannot create them for ourselves. C.S. Lewis goes on to talk about how Jesus instructs us to love other people the same way that we love ourselves. He talks about how So even whenever we really are mad at ourselves, even when we, I don't know, hate ourselves, that we don't actually fully hate ourselves because what we really hate is the fact that the person that we are committed this thing that we're mad at ourselves about. And we wish that wasn't true about ourselves because we actually do like ourselves. And we want ourselves to have a good reputation and to be better people. We desire to be more and to be better. And the reasons that we are angry with ourselves mar our self-image. And so in that context, he writes this, but whenever we do good to another self, we're loving somebody else the same way we love ourselves. Just because it is a self, that person, is made like us by God, we desire them to have happiness in the same way we desire our own. We will have learned to love a little bit more, or at least to dislike a little less. He closes out this thought with saying this, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus' obedience. How far was he willing to go to express his kindness for us, Philippians 2.8 and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the ultimate example of loving kindness, and it was his obedience to his father that saved us of our sins. So kindness is the action of love, number one. Kindness is obedience, number two. Number three, kindness will always require sacrifice. It will always cost us something. We only have a limited amount of time and energy and money, and for us to give some of that to somebody else requires that we give up some of our own. All of those come in finite figures, 24 hours in a day, $100 in my wallet. That would be cool. haven't had that in a long time. And for us to give, to be kind, requires a sacrifice of what I have. Always. Whether you're giving a sandwich to a homeless person and giving up your time, or whether you're helping a sibling clean their room, we are still giving up something of ourselves. We may have to be laying down our own pride. That may be what we're sacrificing. But kindness will always ask something of us. Or it's not love. It's not kindness. Consider the people that have poured into you. The people that have given you their time and their energy. The people that have stayed up with you late at night. That have helped you whenever you were in a financial need and needing money. Who are the people in your life that sacrificed on behalf of you whether you deserved it or not? Who are they? Think about that for a minute. Who are the people that sacrificed for you, that paid a cost for your benefit? Whenever we walk in kindness, it pressures us to leave our comfort zones. When we walk in kindness, we do things that we didn't want to do. We'll go places we really weren't comfortable with going. We will sacrifice when we walk in kindness. This story of William Dixon doesn't end standing at the foot of a burning building. It continues. And it continues with a courtroom scene. Because now this little boy was an orphan a second time, this time without a grandmother. And there was another gentleman in the city. In fact, he was the most wealthy and respected man of the city. His name was James... I don't want to mess this up. Doesn't matter. It'll come to me eventually and I'll tell you. He stood on up in front of the court and said, I would like this young man to come live with me and my wife. And James was happy to emphasize the fact that he was married. And we're going to raise him in these ways, and he's going to have all the best things. And we, he should come, this little boy, and come live with us. The little boy's name was Richard. The little Richie should come and live with us. But there was another voice in the courtroom, and it was William Dixon. You know, before I continue, I'd like to consider our elevate leaders. Consider maybe for the first time the sacrifice that they give every Wednesday or the nights that you give them a call when it's late. The times that they pour into you and the encouragement they give you. Have you considered the time that they're not spending with their family? Have you considered the work hours that they could be making up? Have you considered the emotional energy that they've already poured out in every other aspect of their lives and yet they come and they pray for you and they walk in these doors looking for the opportunity to bless you? Have you considered your Elevate leaders? Because their kindness is not free. Their kindness costs them something. Kindness will always require sacrifice. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 I love this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God, what did he do? He sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice, the swap for our sins. What did God do because of his love? He took action. He showed kindness through sending his son, through dying on a cross for us. Kindness always costs something. God's loving kindness towards us was immeasurable, and he was willing to pay the highest cost. Kindness is known in these three truths. Kindness is the action of love. Kindness is obedience Kindness will always require sacrifice. For God so loved the world that, what did he do? He gave. One of the most powerful aspects of kindness, one of the most important things that you can do to be kind, is to give forgiveness. Kindness is expressed in a lot of ways, but forgiveness is the chief of them all. Who in your life are you holding on to bitterness to, against? Let's go back to our key scripture, Ephesians 4.32. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Kindness and forgiveness seem to go hand in hand. Matthew 6.14-15 through 15 recognize the command, the request for obedience. For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father forgive yours. There is a command to forgive each other directly from God. Forgiveness is the action of love, forgiveness is obedience, and forgiveness costs sometimes a high price. Sometimes forgiveness begins with just words, with an obedient heart of our saying, God, I'm hurt, I'm damaged. This went on in my childhood. This went on last week and and it scarred me. God, and and I'm trying to be obedient with you. and, And even though I don't feel it, even though I don't have the emotions, I'm going to at least begin with words. God, I forgive them. I forgive them for fill in the blank. There may not be emotions, there may not be heart, you may want to want to, but it begins with our desire to be obedient to our Father, and you know what, we may not feel it, but when that bitterness pops up again, we treat it like whack-a-mole. When it shows its head, we bop it on the head, bow, every time, and we turn back to God, and we go back to those same words again, Lord, in that same heart again, Father, please help me forgive I forgive them in Jesus' name. And it rises up again. Maybe it's day by day for you. Maybe it's moment by moment. But every time that bitterness raises up, we have to smack it on the head. We have to go back to our Father. Quoting C.S. Lewis again, he says, We must try to feel about the enemy as we feel about ourselves. To wish that they were not bad, to hope that they may, in this world or another, be cured. In fact, to even wish they're good. Because sometimes we can be really mad at ourselves. We can have a hard time forgiving ourselves, but there is always this desire to be better. There's always this desire to be cured from our sin, to be cured from that thing that we did that we just hate ourselves over. And that is how we are supposed to love our enemy, is to have the same hope, the same desire, the same prayer for them, is that, God, may they come to be cured too. May they be repaired, and washed, and fixed, and grow. Forgiveness may be a long journey, but it is a tenet of kindness. And if you're anything like me, by this point, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have the power to pull this off. And if you're anything like me, you've already turned kindness into being a work of a Christian instead of the fruit of the Spirit. But not forgiveness, not kindness, or joy, or love, or peace, or gentleness. None of the fruit of the Spirit is attainable in our our own strength. None of them are human traits. (laughs) There's that old saying, to err is human, to forgive divine. We must turn our attention from what I can do and look to his character and remembering that it is him who is in us. He is the vine that we're attached to. The responsibility is on him. His Holy Spirit is flowing through us. Titus 3, verse 4 through 7. Titus, chapter 3, verse 4 through 7. But when goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So first of all, I'd like you to recognize that it is giving God the title of goodness and loving kindness. God is loving kindness. How many times do we read in the Psalms that his loving kindness is what is poured out towards us? How his loving kindness never fails. How his loving kindness endures forever. Thank you, Jesus. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... Jesus, who is goodness and loving kindness, appeared. He saved us, not because of our works, as in he forgave us, even though we didn't deserve it. By the washing of regeneration. Think of that phrase. I wish it was up behind me. I'm so sorry I don't have slides. By the washing of regeneration, as in God comes into us and he transforms us from the inside out. He is beginning in us forgiveness for us so that we can turn around by the regeneration of his Holy Spirit and forgive other people. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, how much? Richly. Through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, being made right with God, by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God's character is goodness and kindness. He is in us. Therefore, his people will begin to grow and stretch in kindness. 1 John 4.10, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he does the work to transform us. We can lay down the pressure and the weight and the struggle of self-help and take on a pursuit of Jesus. When does God's spiritual fruit blossom in a believer? Let that sink for a second. When? Okay, Dom, you're giving me all these great things. Come on, when does it start? When does it begin? I've loved Jesus all my life, but when can I finally have the Holy Spirit in me to walk in kindness towards people I don't like, to forgive people? When does it begin? God's loving kindness was shown through his total sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through the life of Christ. When is our loving kindness shown back to him? If his loving kindness was shown to us through total self-sacrifice, at what point is our loving kindness shown back to him? It's at the point that we are willing to be totally self-sacrificed to him totally allowing Him to take control of us, that we belong to Him, no longer to ourselves, not holding on anymore, but we are giving Him all of us. Kindness is the action of love. Kindness is obedience. Kindness is always sacrificing self. Stay with me for a second. When do we begin to bloom the fruit of kindness? It is when we give up everything to Jesus. Consider the boy with the loaves and the fishes. I love it. Jesus has gathered, as all these people gathered around him, It's like 5,000 people, right? And they've been out here a long time in the burning sun, and they're hungry. They've skipped breakfast. they skipped lunch. I don't know how long they've been there. A long time. And they're all hungry. Tummies are rumbling all over the place. Kids are whining and complaining, and I can hear that clearly in my head. And listen to what Jesus says. This is John chapter 6, verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? I want you to catch what Jesus is doing here. This is kindness in action, guys. Jesus is saying, Where is the place that we are going to spend our money, open pocket? Where is the place that we're going to go and empty out ourselves for these people? the people that we don't know all their names. Where are we going to go? And we ourselves will dip into our money bags, our wallets, and provide for them. Listen to this. He said this to test him. For he knew himself what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to even get a little. I wonder why he pulled out 200 denarii. This is just me. Totally a dumb theory. Hopefully it's not a dumb theory. I wonder if 200 denarii is how much the 12 apostles had together. I wonder if they're saying all that we have, Jesus, isn't enough to feed all these people even a little bit. Because Jesus is challenging them to do it themselves, to give sacrificially, to be obedient, to act out of love for these people. Are you seeing where this is coming together? How beautiful this is! One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said to him, "There is a boy, an immature kid, here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? So here we are. Here's twelve men who are like grabbing under their wallets, like mine." I don't think so. Not dip it into my pockets. And here is a kid that's going, here, all I have goes to the master. Take what I've got. It's not much. It's all I've got. The apostles reveal their hearts through their words, but the boy reveals his heart through his action, through his willingness to sacrifice. I'm not like the boy. Um, Me, I'm like the disciples. I want so badly to be more like Jesus in this. But I fail all the time. So how can we grow? We have to begin with the understanding that everything already belongs to God. And just like I'm totally pulling from Jeremy Smith from his chapel sermon two weeks ago at Home of Christian, everything already belongs to God. And that's really easy for us to say out loud, but just like the example he said, if there was a hundred oranges here and God owned every one of the oranges, that means that you own none of them. Like, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that everything that we have, from the clothes that we're wearing to what we go home to, to what's in our bank account, to the words that we speak, to the actions, our talents, everything that we have belongs to God. It never was ours. And so when we're talking about sacrificing and giving everything that we are, have to God, what we're really doing is just acknowledging the fact that all we are is His anyway. And finally, surrendering control for Him to use it in our lives for other people through kindness. It's amazing how quickly we'll grab onto stuff. Jeremy called it the open palm theory. And it's the idea that God will place something in our hands... And God can either leave it there, He can take it, or He can add to it. But what we'll do is we'll see something good that's in our our hands, and we'll close it and say, "This is mine. This doesn't belong." To the precious. I know I do a Lord of the Rings reference every week. And then whenever we feel like we're holding on to this, first of all, we think that because we're clinging onto it, that God can't touch it anymore. <laughs> Silly humans. But whenever we're living with this closed fist, it definitely blocks God from ever adding to it or giving us something more or better. Think of the rich young ruler that comes to him. Jesus, I'm doing everything right. What do you want me to do? And Jesus says, give all your possessions. Jesus went right to the heart of the issue. He went right to his very soul and what he is holding on to. And Jesus says, I want you to open up your hand and be open-palmed for me. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it. He walked away sad because he had a lot of possessions. When we have a perspective change to recognize that everything belongs to God, it's so much easier to finally put love into action, to be obedient, and to be willing to sacrifice and pay the cost for somebody else. When does his spiritual fruit blossom in us? When his people surrender everything to him to put to death our selfishness to allow Jesus to put to death our selfishness that gets nailed to the cross thank you Jesus Ezekiel 36:26 that's Ezekiel 36:26 says and God is speaking directly to us he says I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. All that selfishness, that grabbing, that desire, I'm going to pry that out. And I'm going to replace your heart. Let me in. It's at that point that we will walk in obedience to God. It's that point that we can please Him. Listen to this, Micah six eight. He has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? What is he asking for? How can we be obedient? But that you do justice to love kindness and to walk humbly before your God. None of those is possible without a complete surrender. I told you that the story continues about William Dixon. He stands in a courtroom and the most obvious of the townspeople has laid out his case to why he should adopt young Richie. And so they turned the, the court's attention to William Dixon. And he is a man of very few words, and today he used none. But he walked up in front of the court, and he unbandaged his hand, and he showed the court his scarred hands. Now, I'll read to you the response of the people. One gentleman named Joseph Smedley said this, It was the sight of old William's hand that did it. None of us could go against that. And then the judge says, Dixon certainly has a claim on that child by reason of what he suffered for it. The court gave Dixon the little boy to take home. And they had such a beautiful relationship. And often, the little boy, Richie, would ask his daddy, to tell the story of how he became his son. And he would ask for it over and over and over again, and he wanted to hear how he was purchased by the scars on his hand. If you'll give me a couple more minutes of your time, I'd love to read directly from this article from 1902. This is the little boy. He could dimly remember how daddy had had saved him from the fire, and he was never tired of hearing how James had wanted to make him one of his family and how daddy had claimed him because of the poor hand which had been so dreadfully burnt for his sake. This story nearly always moved Richie to tears and ended in the showering of passionate, childish kisses on the injured hand. For the sight of the hand, which had been scarred for him, awoke all the chivalry dormant in this boy's soul and intensified his devotion to his deliverer. And he says, I won't be living with the Jameses, will I, daddy? He would ask, no, my lad, you're mine. And no one will ever take me away from you when they see your hand, right, daddy? You would just Show them your hand like you did when I was little, and then you'd know, and then they would know that it was you that pulled me out of the fire, and that I was your little boy. Jesus shows his hands. He shows us his hands of kindness, and their hands of sacrifice, their hands of forgiveness, their hands of obedience. These are the hands. That Jesus came and he lived with open palms for you and me. Who hung there on the cross and said, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus held his life open-handed. Because of his loving kindness for us. Can't we live with open palms for him? And for the people around us? Friends or enemies? Can't we live that lifestyle for him? when he so generously gave it to us, that elevate, that open-handedness, that is the beginning of kindness. Heavenly Father, work a powerful construction project in our hearts to make us more like you and less like us. Holy Father, we surrender all of ourselves. Thank you for your loving kindness that was poured out and shown to us through forgiveness, through death, through obedience, through sacrifice. Oh, Holy Father, God, may we walk in your footsteps. May we follow you. May we, as Jesus' followers, give you all of ourselves and live open-handed with what we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Elevate. Go spend time with Jesus this week. I don't have three challenges for you like I do every other week. I'm really behind today. Challenge one and only. Spend time with Jesus every day for seven days. Elevate, I love you. May his loving kindness flow through you this week to everyone you lock eyes with. Have a great night, and I will probably not see you next week. But may you go to the football field behind the LWC and hear wonderful Jamie Dishman preach on love, the final climactic fruit of this whole series. Love you, Elevate. Have a great night. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.